FC Dallas Curious fans, and welcome to a bonus edition of Third Degree, the podcast. You may be wondering why you haven't seen a podcast from us anytime soon, but uh, to be honest, we did an end-of-season wrap-up, and then we did a preview of what we thought should happen this winter, and since then, FC Dallas has done pretty much nothing. There's been a really quiet winter so far. There's been no news, and so if we were to do another podcast, we would just be repeating ourselves just for the sake of repeating ourselves, and that doesn't seem like necessarily a good idea so we're kind of waiting for something to happen in the meantime here's a little bonus podcast for you this one's not going to feature peter welton or dan crook it's just myself Uh, and what this is is a q a i did two weeks ago for um my patrons on uh the patron website patreon.com slash third degree um for the most part, we follow what I call the PBS method, which is what we do, what we do. We do podcasts, we do news reporting on the blog, we do news reporting on Twitter and that kind of thing. And we hope that you'll support us uh, through the Patreon page and be a patron of us. Uh, and if you do do that, we'll give you a little extra bonus content. And this uh, podcast here is an example of that. It's a QA. and uh, It's about uh, 35 minutes long. Hopefully this will give you a fix of uh, FC Dallas content and hopefully it'll let you know the kind of things we do bonus extra for our patrons and maybe you'll consider uh, joining us in that um so without further ado here we go here's the q a i did about two weeks ago for our patrons hope you enjoy hello everybody welcome to a special edition of the third degree burn or really perhaps i should say it's a third degree the podcast special edition whichever you prefer anyway this is a uh q a session with just myself buzz carrick uh, for our patrons the supporters on the patreon um, you guys have had a couple of days to input questions and I have some answers for you. So let's, uh, without further ado, let's, let's go through these questions and answers. Um, uh, up first, uh, and I'm going to answer these in the order that they were posted on the page. That seems like a good way to do it as any, uh, Rex Darwin asked, uh, you could argue that North Texas soccer club shouldn't have been able to dominate USL one playing mostly Academy kids. They won the regular season, the postseason, and most individual awards. The league just doesn't seem the league just seems too low of a level did you foresee a move to the uslc in the future or are you doubling down on youth in usl1 should they stay in usl1 knowing that they have a winning product they can build upon at arlington it sure was fun to watch them dominate all right the answer to that um i predicted that uh north texas would actually not only win the title but they would run the table um wasn't a surprise to me that uh, guys that have been identified as MLS level talent um, when they're 18, 19, 20 years old are going to be better than guys that are in their mid thirties um, or mid twenties, probably not mid thirties, mid twenties um, that aren't MLS level talent. But um, <clears throat> also uh, it was the first year of the league. And I think a lot of teams underestimated the level of the uh, competition, at least from North Texas anyway. And, you saw over the course of the season that teams adjusted and they learned and they adapted and they brought in more talent and and um, it did become tougher for North Texas later on. But um, I don't see a move to USLC coming. Uh, number one, USL and MLS are trying to force all the MLSL two teams down to USL one, not the other way around. Um, there are more teams coming into the league that will help. They'll um, the, the teams will all have a second season now and they'll improve their talent. That'll help. 
Um, and some more MLS two teams are coming in and that'll help. So uh, the other half of the answer to that question is that I do see a doubling down and youth coming um, from FC Dallas. It was nice to win the title, but um, the purpose of this team is not to win USL one. I mean, they do try and win, they try and win games and they're going to try and win the title, but the larger context is not to win USL one titles. The larger context is to develop talent for FC Dallas and not to be disrespectful to him. But um, for example, Oscar Romero, who at 23 years of age um, is just, is just not an MLS level player. He's never going to be an MLS level player. So um, there's no reason for him to be playing. Uh, what you need is David Rodriguez, who at 16, 17 years old needs to be playing every game, starting every game, playing every game, playing every game, 90 minutes, even if it costs you wins, even if it costs you the title. Um, those are the guys that need to be playing. Sure, you're not going to win as many games, but um, that's not the point, right? Uh, I think over the next year, you're going to see more academy kids playing for free on amateur deals like Tanner Tessman. More guys like that will come up. You'll see more U19 signed to try and push them through and progress them uh, like David Rodriguez is, but more along those lines. Um, even... Um, Arturo Rodriguez, who's you know 20, is even starting to push it in terms of how old you want players to be with that squad. Anyone 23 and up is way past what they're looking for. Um, they're going to be jettisoning players like that. Uh, they'll be moving on players that are in their low 20s. Uh, you're going to see this team really turn into almost a U20 team, and that's the team that you're going to see in uh, USL1 going forward, I believe. All right, question number two is from William. Uh, what do you think about the recent nomination of Eric Quill as assistant coach for the U-17s? Do you think he will leave North Texas SC? Well, first, uh, the nomination to be an assistant coach for the national team is fantastic. That's terrific. Um, terrific for Eric. Terrific opportunity. Um, there's a chance for him to uh, get some continuing education with you, if you will, working with some high-quality coaches. You can always pick up techniques and tips from other players. Uh, excuse me, the other coaches. Um, you know, th this is exactly the way coaches try and progress themselves is getting involved with other guys at a high level. Do I think he will leave NTSXC? Um, no, yes, I do think he will leave eventually, but not, not now. I think he will leave uh, down the road. You know, coaches always try and climb the ladder. They try and get to a higher level. Uh, I think that he'll do the same thing. Um, his success with... Uh, North Texas and his ability to progress younger talent will get him noticed. Um, maybe not jump to MLS, maybe jump to USLC. Who knows? It'll just depend on whether somebody um, wants him. But yes, eventually he will leave. Uh, unless Lucci leaves first and, North, and FC Dallas needs a head coach, <laughs> then you know how the hunts are and Cole might be your FC Dallas head coach. All right, question number three, Justin Bittner. Hopefully I'm saying that right, Justin. Do you think we will see another incoming transfer from Gremio this offseason? Their left winger Everton should be an amazing get, but way, way too pricey for the hunts. Perhaps someone in the $5 million range, though. Uh, that's actually a really specific idea, Gremio, a really good idea. Um, I had not thought specifically of uh, Gremio, but I had thought that um, with Andre Zanata's experience at Gremio, that he would have scouted and have good um, knowledge base about players from South America, particularly opponents that he faced in the Copa Libertadores. So, um, you know, those, those Brazilian teams, those Argentine teams, uh, the, the, the teams that he had faced, Gremio certainly is included in that. 
um, he has a knowledge base about players from that part of the world. Uh, you would hope that uh, means that I think that, you, that you'll see the hunts continue this South American pipeline that they already have going. Um, five million, actually, I I think is about right um, for the hunts this winter. But I say five million, um, knowing that there's going to be two players they're going to go after: uh, a left wing and a striker. So. Um, I don't think you pay five million for one guy unless maybe you can get a guy on a free. Maybe it's two million for one guy and three million for another guy. Uh, we'll see. But I, th- I think a five million total wouldn't be out of the question. And, and if you could get a free one, maybe you could go five million on one guy. Uh, but that's that's starting to push it a little bit for the hunts. I think I think that is pushing it a little bit. And I think this year they will take another step up. I mean, a little bit more than they paid for Acosta. Probably not five. Probably less than five, but maybe two guys combined might get you close to five. It's not going to be anywhere near what um, Seattle pays for guys or LAFC pays for guys. That's just, that's not possible. But um, I think between the two, I think you're going to get four to five million spent to those two positions. That's my belief based on talking to people. All right. Next question. Nancy Pierce. How do you think Lucci gets Paxson and Jesus on the field together next season? Will he shift Paxson out wide or further back? Will he have another look at Jesus as the nine? Um, for her at the nine, no. Not to start this season. Uh, that'll only be an emergency. In, in fact, once they sign Pepe, um, if they need to go with an 18-year-old kid at the striker, again, it'll be Pepe. So only in some kind of weird uh, emergency injury situation um, where they go back to Jesus as the nine. Uh, as for how you get them both on the field at the same time, that's a good question. Uh, the, the way you do it is um, with dual eights again. Uh, um, the, the idea that they started the season with last year, the idea of the way Manchester City plays, the idea of the way that um, Lucci actually would prefer to play, that's with these two dueling eights. Uh, in the case of playing Paxson and Jesus together, um, that would take a lot of work because they both are going to want to play that high free eight role. So they would have to spend a lot of time working together and practicing together. And number one, Brian Acosta would have to get really good at those single pivot by himself. But uh, you can't expose Acosta by himself. You have to have somebody checking in to help him from time to time. And, and that's true now as it is as it would be going forward. So Paxton and Jesus would have to um, work together and learn to cover each other um, and one or the other of them constantly filling the Brandon Cervania role that um, is being filled right now, those more linking eight role. That that might be a lot to ask um, by the start of spring training this year, by the start of the season in 2020. Um, possible, possible, but um, it's going to take some serious work with those two guys to make it work, but that's how you do it. Um, they're going to bring in a left wing and they've already got Santiago Mascara. So putting a pot cost on the left wing, a cost, not a cost, excuse me, putting past on the left wing doesn't necessarily help you. Um, plus you really need Brandon Cervini on the field right now, the way Brandon's playing, he's a lock. So you, what you basically, um, and you may find this crazy is right now for me, Paxton is in the mix at the eight, the 10 left wing and right wing, but is not the starter going into 2020 at either of those, any of those four spots. Paxton's going to have to do something uh, to make himself a starter like he did last year. So it's probably doable, but like right this second, I don't know that Paxton's a starter. 
which is crazy. Um, we'll have to see how the winter goes, of course, with players that come in. Uh, certainly, if it's only Paxton and Mosquera on the left wing, for example, I think Paxton could beat Mosquera out, no problem. But, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, Paxton's got some work to do to find out where he's going to play uh, in 2020 because right now, Jesus Ferreira and Brandon Cervania have and, and Brian and Brian Acosta have the three midfield spots on lockdown. All right, Nancy, uh, with another question, a follow-up question. Uh, if if Reggie leaves, do you see Reynolds being inserted as right back, or will Lucci favor getting Ryan and Nelson on the outsides? Uh, the answer right now is Reynolds. The entire um, reason, not the entire reason, one of the reasons you're willing to sell uh, Reggie Cannon is that <clears throat> Brian Reynolds has amazing upside, huge upside at right back. Um, so you would start the spring training with the idea that Brian Reynolds will be your starter going into the season. And just like Reggie in 2018, Brian will have um, some growing pains. He'll have some learning to do. So he'll have some progression to make. As the spring goes on, if that progression is looking like it's happening, then great. You go into the start of the season with Reynolds as you're right back. And then if Cannon is sold, uh, Emma Tuomasi will be kept around probably as your right back backup in 2020. Um, Hollingshead, for some reason, is not a good right back. Um, it's been a mess every time he's tried to play over there. Uh, Nelson can do it too, but that's not his future. You don't want to be wasting time spending using Nelson at um, out of position. You What you would really have would be Brisson would be your emergency. But um, the whole point of, um, of, not the whole point, again, part of the point of, of letting Reggie go or being willing to let Reggie go is because you have these young guys, Reynolds, uh, maybe to Amasi, and then down the line, um, Kevin Benia, who's in the academy, if you can get him signed, he's not ready for 20, not 2020, but, um, you know, Reynolds is. So you got to play him in, you got to let him grow, and you got to see how it goes. And and worst case scenario, if you get to midseason and it's a nightmare, then you can make some changes. But uh, you, Reynolds has got fantastic upside and maybe even more upside than Reggie, believe it or not. Um, the verticality and the athleticism uh, are higher. Um, Reggie's smarter. Reggie's got, Reggie's got a bigger... Uh, IQ, um, but you know, soccer smarts and, and life smarts are not necessarily the same thing. So, um, Reynolds has got game and he'll be fine. It'll be good. All right. So next question from Ryan TU 182, assuming that's Texas university Gigum. That's all I have to say about that. Okay. Question buzz. You had a big crush on Chris Kappas back in the day. Now that he's been away for a while and doesn't fall under the homegrown territory rules, would there ever be a chance of FC Dallas, bringing him back, or do you think he's in Europe to say? Uh, yeah, no, for sure there's a chance that they can bring him back. Um, all they have to do is sign a, file a discovery signing, and I'm sure they have done that. Um, but uh, it's not likely, though. Um, as I've said before, uh, for me, Chris Cavas is the best player that's ever come out of the academy that, uh, that I personally witnessed. I was out of town living for the when the Weston McKinney came out, so I can't verify what I saw with him in person. But Kappas, for me, I rated even above Pax and Pomacall uh, and Jesus Ferreira for what I saw. Uh, the first day I saw him in senior training, he just absolutely blew me away. And um, and Richards did too. I, I remarked to um, Oscar Prey about both those players, and Oscar's eyes lit up just as mine had lit up watching them train. And then nothing Kappas did over the course of the academy changed my mind in one bit and even reinforced that even more. My favorite story is... Um, 
him walking off a plane from a, a U20, I think it was a U20 camp in Spain and um, landing like three hours before a Dallas Cup game and then walking right out onto the field and, and insisting he was starting to the coach and, and dominating the game and putting in the best performance of the entire tournament in that game. The kid, um, the thing that for me that makes the kid special is that he dominates the game with his will and with his mind and his, uh, <clears throat> his, his ability, yes, but with his, he stamps his himself on the game and dictates the game, and that's to me is unteachable. You have to either have that or you don't. Um, so obviously, I think his ceiling is immense, and I, I think that he's now that he's moved into the starting lineup um, at Hobro that he's going to progress to another club soon. I don't, I don't have any idea who or what, but um, I think this. It, Unless he hits some sort of ceiling and stops progressing, then I don't think he'll be back coming back to Dallas. I do hope that he comes back someday, but uh, it won't be soon, I don't think. You can see how excited I get just talking about the kid. Phenomenal talent. All right, from Chaz, Charlene Helms. Um, well, this is a multi-parter, Chaz. Okay, number one, do you think of the loaning of selected homegrowns from SCD to Byron for a training stint in the offseason is intended to showcase them for a full-time loan, or is it just about training opportunity to expose them to international experience? Uh, for most of them, it's the latter. It's the um, experience of going to Bayern, different coaches, different sessions, different methodology, different tensions, different atmosphere, um, making yourself uncomfortable. For the rare few, uh, it's a trial. Like, for example, when Richards and and um, Roberts first went that kind of got facilitated by an agent who specializes in finding American kids for German teams. Um, and that's why it was, that's why it was just the two of them. So those two guys was kind of a trial more than anything, but now that you have like five guys going, it's mostly about the training. Um, if one of them were to excel, of course uh, coaches would, would, would notice and, 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 and uh, act from Bayern or, or from any other German clubs that may be uh, around and watching. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's mostly about the training at this point, it, perhaps except for Roberts in this specific case. Uh, second part of the question, uh, when, I, when, when you, as in me, go to the preseason training camps, can you provide us with some more photos than in recent years? Um, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, the problem is, is I don't have a nice camera with a lens on it. Um, I just have my phone. So I can shoot, uh, like a, if a player stands right next to me, I can shoot his picture and it'll look good. But out on the field, it looks terrible. Um, but more specifically, um, FC Dallas under their current PR group, and this includes spring training, does not allow photos of training other than the first 15 minutes and the last 15 minutes of training. This is true during the regular season. It's true in preseason. It's true all the time. You can only shoot stretching at the beginning, basically, and then the cool down stretching at the end, basically. So um, it's, it's pretty much out of my control unless FC Dallas changes that policy. Now, if you want more pictures of uh, the facility or me vacation sort of stuff, like the, where I went and stuff, I can do that. Um, I can, I can shoot some pictures of guys just sort of standing there before they train. I mean, I, I can do that. I can share some of that kind of stuff, I guess, but, uh, I can't shoot practice and, um, and my phone's not good enough to shoot, uh, a game from the sideline. So the answer is unfortunately, 
uh, probably not, Chaz, unless unless somebody convinces FC Dallas to give me special uh, permission. Maybe I'll talk to Lucci. All right, Fritz Yonker. I hope I think that's probably right. Probably not Yonker, is it? Fritz Yonker uh, has a wow four part question. Okay, Fritz. Um, if Peter Lucine and Michelle filled in in the center mid spots for opposing teams in the inner squad scrimmage today, who gets the better of the matchup? Um, that's actually a really level playing field, but I'll probably say Michelle because he's been playing at a higher competitive level since he left FC Dallas. Um, as far as I know, Peter has just played in the little coaching get fun games they have. Whereas Michelle played for the sidekicks and he played for some other teams in town and, and is playing at a, a pretty decent level. Uh, and as far as I know, Peter's not. So I'll go with Michelle uh, if it, they played today. Okay, two, do you have any specific idea on the around the invest uh, the incentives, excuse me, in Chris Richards' deal? I think it was reported that the fee could go to $5 million based on performance. Uh, I don't remember specifics of the performance, and no, I don't have any information. Um, FC Dallas will not share that kind of information, and um, I am not tight with Richard's agent, uh, Corey Gibbs. I know him, I've you know, but I don't. He's not going to give me that kind of information. The one I think I do know is that, uh, that which was not reported by me, but reported by somebody else, was that there's a forty percent sell-on fee. Uh, I remember that part because that was that's a pretty big deal. That sell-on percentage. Um, because Richards has upside and, and it's likely that he won't break through with Byron. It's likely that he'll break in the reserve team and somebody else will take him on loan or and want to buy him. That's more likely than he'll break in in Byron. When Byron needs a center back, they spend $50 million. Uh, it's possible, of course, that he might, but um, it's more likely he'll be sold at some point. Okay, three. What are the chances FCD has two new DPs next year? i.e. the chances that both Mascara and Arangis either leave or get bought down, and then FCD brings in two new players for enough of a transfer salary to count as DPs. Fritz, very high, actually, uh, really high. I expect both of the wing and striker signings that they're going to attempt to make to be DPs. Now, now this means FC Dallas DP levels, mind you, not Carlos Vela or Joseph Martinez range. I'm talking about DPs that are like, I think last year it was 530000 so... You know, you're 550, you're 600K, you're, you're like like Ziegler. Ziegler's a DP. They buy him down, but he's a DP. So, um, yes, I expect two new players to be at the DP salary range to come in. Um, but that has nothing to do with Arangis and Mosquera. Uh, I already would tell you that I don't expect Arangis to be back, despite the fact that his loan ended. Um, I expect them to loan him again. I, I, I'd be stunned if Arangis is back at all this spring. Um, Mascara, I do think will stay though. I think that, um, they still think he has potential, so I don't think they'll try and move him. I think they'll keep him around. I think it's more likely they'll sell Baji, trade Baji. At least I hope they trade Baji. I want them to trade Baji. Um, but even if they don't trade Mascara or Baji, there's room for all these players that I've been, the striker and the winger that I would think they're going to add to uh, fit on the roster. Okay. Part four from Fritz. Uh, was Lucci planning to move Jesus back to midfield the whole time? If yes, why did the team have so little quality depth on the four line to replace him? If no, what prompted the change? We were getting good production from that Paxton at that spot. Uh, no, no, uh, Lucci was not planning to move Jesus back to midfield. Um, but he did have the concept in the back of his head because Jesus had played some, uh, 10 for him in the Academy. 
But um, in the spring, Jesus only played as a nine in our wing. Uh, what happened was that over the course of the early part of this season, uh, particularly when Ferreira was checking back to midfield, they saw some things in his profile that they felt they were missing um, from Paxton and or Acosta, the two people that were playing eight at the time. So um, they tested that. Uh, idea in the U.S. Open Cup using, if I'm if I'm remembering my timeline correctly, using for as a ten, uh, and sure enough, what they were looking for, he was doing um, specifically that's uh, connection between the lines, that the check back, the getting between the midfield and the defense, the his escapability, which is the quick reception of a pass and turn and then movement forward or a pass forward, um, that that linking quick bang bang stuff um a quick little move not not long dribbles like running at guys but like a quick little shifts um and then a little bit of box penetration on the dribble and he's a better finisher than paxton so um what triggered the change other than those profile elements was they sold grezzo so they moved acosta back to the six um that kind of opened things up and then paxton got a knock and had to sit out a game or two and or uh, got called to the Worlds. Uh, I can't remember these, which one it was exactly, but um, you know that that ability of of Jesus in there, and then when and then when um, Cervania came back from the Worlds, he stepped in too, and basically from there that combination was working, and they were accomplishing things that they were looking for, particularly because um, Brandon Cervania's uh, a little more of a stay at home eight. That freed up Jesus completely, uh, more as a pure uh, midfield ten, uh, and, and giving them those profiles they wanted. So uh, right now, Jesus Ferreira is entrenched as a ten on this team, um, and Brandon Cervania is a lock as the eight, and and Acosta is the lock as the six. So again, that's why one of the reasons I talked about Pomakov probably starting the season as a backup, which is crazy. Uh, you know, they value him; they gave him that contract. They clearly value him. But he's got to figure out how to get himself on the field. It'll be an interesting question to watch. It's one of the biggest questions going into the next year is the congestion there between those guys. Hopefully that's clear enough about what Jesus is doing that Paxton doesn't do. Some people will think that's kind of crazy, but um, you know, pa- Paxton is a special player and he makes special moments happen. But um, sometimes it's about the grit and grunt work. And in this case... That's what Ferreira's doing that Paxson's not. Which is not to say he can't, because he could. It's just not there yet. Okay, Travis McDowell. Who do you think will be captain next year? I've heard you talk about Hollingshead influences in practice, and he was the one that pulled the guys together in Seattle to start the rally. How do you think Hedges and Ziegler will deal with that? Well, uh, the answer is I think Ziegler will still be captain. Uh, he's the old veteran of the team, the old sea dog. And there are components to being a captain on and off the field that he does. Uh, the talking to the refs, the organizing the team, uh, internal team stuff, uh, you know, kangaroo courts, uh, player uh, fines. You know, Ziegler has the respect, the elder statesman vibe going on. Uh, he'll, he'll still be the captain. Hedges is a quiet leader. He's not very vocal. Um, I don't know if he was insulted by having not being captain, but um, he didn't, he didn't show anything to me that made me think that he was upset about it or anything. Um, Grezzo 
Carlos Greza was also part of the leadership um, triangle, if you will, uh, before he left. But I, I think Brian Acosta is stepping into that role some. But um, but Hollingshead uh, remains the emotional, outspoken, uh, rah-rah leader. Uh, and he has been since Lucci got here. And I think he'll continue that role. I mean, Lucci will still look to um, Hollingshead when it's time to get everybody going, get everybody moving. And, and you've seen, if you've watched those behind-the-scenes videos – all the time at the games when it was time to, to before the game or before halftime, when they do those little huddles, it's Ryan Hollingshead who's doing the speeches. It's Ryan Hollingshead who's doing the cheerleading. Um, that doesn't make him captain because there's a, there's a difference there um, of, of the technicality of being a captain and the logistics of being the captain versus the emotion and the rah-rah guy and the get-everybody-going guy and the guy Lucci looks to... Um, you know, to be like a player coachish kind of vibe uh, in a way, you know, when he calls them, hey, get everybody running, get everybody huddled up, get everybody, you know, that's the Hollingshead role. I know it seems weird that that's not the captain, but uh, those are very, those are two different things. Sometimes they can be the same guy, but right now they're not, um, which is fine, which is good. It'll be, the bigger interesting question will be, um, if Hollingshead gets, if, sorry, if Ziegler is no longer a starter around here, um, whether that be middle of this year or next year, I mean, he is going to be 34 next season. There is a point at which he won't be a starter here. So then who's captain? And that's when you might see Ryan take over as captain, possibly. Um, it won't be surprised me if next year there's a little bit of a rotation among the captain's armband um, in games a little bit. If, if you see... Uh, you'd like to see Brisson, um, you know, start 20 games, you know, 10 in Ziegler's spot and 10 in Hedges' spot. Um, you know, and, and when one of the two of those guys are out, you might see Ryan being captain, that kind of thing. If Brisson can't get 20 starts and spell Ziegler or Hedges, then that's going to start looking like a bust signing. All right, another question from Rex Darwin. Is Cannon gone after these two U.S. men's national team games? Where would you like to see him go and how much do you think he will go for? Uh, no, not gone after these two games um, because the transfer window doesn't open until January-ish for most leagues. Specifically, England is January 1st. Um, and the mid-season windows is tougher uh, now because these are not MLS's window. This is the windows for the European clubs we're talking about. So their windows are, mid-season windows are tougher unless somebody has a specific need. Um, so I, I actually think it's more likely that he'll go, uh, in the summer than it is this winter. We'll get back to that in a minute. Um, and I would like to see him go to Germany. Actually, that's where I think he would be good. Not, not Byron or Dortmund, but, uh, a mid table German team, um, like Schalke, but doesn't have to be Schalke. Um, the reason I like the Germany for him is because, um, they respect Americans there, which I think would be good for him. Um, and, uh, I think they would like his engine, his up and down the field kind of work rate, I think would, would play well there. Um, and then obviously the UK uh, work permit is tough. As for how much, um, I actually think it's probably less than people will expect. Uh, transfer market says 2 million. And I actually think that's about right. Given that FC Dallas will want some sell on percentage, I think it might actually even be a little less than that. Like a 1.5 with a percent sell-on, maybe. Maybe as high as 2, but I, I wouldn't think more than that. 
Um, right back is not a highly paid transfer position, uh, aside from what you've seen Man City do lately. Um, and you know he only has a year and a, well, two years left on his current deal, and the longer it goes, the lower the value will be because the less time he has. So it's actually an FC Dallas's benefit to sell now than it is to sell in the summer or next winter. It'll go lower and lower. All right. Uh, the last question is from Stacy Turner. In regards to the rumors of interest from England on Reggie, again, here we go. How many national team caps does it take for someone to get their UK work permit? If he hasn't reached that count yet, but it's close, could you see the Vogue move of the player transfer in the next window and then loaning him back until the summer? Uh, well, the answer to the first part of the question about the work permit um, is given where the U.S. is ranked, which I, th- I think I looked it up today, it was 23rd. He needs to play in 60% of um, all the national team games to hit the automatic mark. Um, he might be young enough at 21 that he only has to have hit them last 60% in the last year, but um, that's only the automatic trigger. There's also this complicated point system that's beyond even really worth talking about that has to do with how much the fee is, what his salary is going to be, how good MLS is, how much he plays here, blah, 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 blah. There's like 30 different qualifiers or whatever that you can get in on appeal. Um, I, I'm not I'm not a transfer expert, so I can't really tell you how, whether I think Reggie's got a good shot at it or not. I mean, you would think he would, but I, who knows? Sometimes the UK uh, work permit system can be weird. Uh, another reason why I actually like his chances to go to someplace like Germany better. Uh, and specifically, there are very other options than, than the UK. I mean, I know those have been the two that have been mentioned, but people, but there have been like Mexican clubs that have looked at him too. And, um, you know, other teams as well. So, um, it's not, it's going to be more about where he wants to go. Uh, you know, what he thinks his best option is he and his agent. Um, it's more likely that, as I said in the previous answer that Reggie will move in the summer than this winter. As I said, the earlier FC Dallas can sell and the better it is for them monetarily. Um, but the other side is true. Teams will want to wait because they'll think, well, I can wait six months and it'll be 500 K less or something. You know, I, I don't know the specifics of how that would go. That was just a bargaining tool, but um, it won't shock me to see him go in the summer instead of this winter. But I really do uh, think Reggie wants to go now and go badly. I, you know, I've some things I'm hearing around the grapevine are that he's quite desperate to go. So in the end, it'll it'll just that'll be the key figure is is how badly does he want to go, and will someone meet his valuation for FC Dallas? You know, will they um, get enough that they think it's okay? You know, which for me, as I going to say, two million or, or maybe less, depending on whether he gets that percentage sell on. So that's all part of negotiations and it's a complicated process and it's hard to predict what's going to happen for all we know, Reggie's is going to be here for 10 years. I don't think that's likely. I think, you know, the fact that he's turning down these contract offers and we have no idea how big they are, but the fact that he's turning them down is pretty indicative that he doesn't, it's not interested in extending and staying that he wants to go and, and they have the depth to let him go. All right. I think I've rambled enough. Hopefully um, you guys enjoyed the Q and a, um, as usual, of course, don't hesitate to ask me any questions going forward. Um, I'm always happy to answer them for patrons. You guys support us, support me. So I'm always happy to answer, uh, questions for you. 
unless we hit a couple thousand of y'all or something, and then it won't be harder. But um, for now, more than more than happy is to hit whatever questions you guys want to ask. And if you have any topics you want to hear me to talk about more, you can always do that on the website. Um, suggest stuff or send me a note or whatever, and, and we'll have to talk about things. All right, that's it for today's Third Degree Burn. It was a long one. Hopefully this recording worked, and hopefully y'all can enjoy this later tonight or tomorrow. All right, everybody, that was it. Hopefully you enjoyed that uh, Q&A that I did for my patrons. If you'd like to become a patron and support the work I'm doing with Third Degree and the podcast, you can uh, check us out at patreon.com slash third degree. It's pretty easy to find. Hopefully you can uh, uh, join us and, and, and support what we're doing, and then get, you'll get a little bonus content. And, uh, and uh, hopefully we can continue to do the good work we're doing, and hopefully you find the work we're doing good. All right, that's it for today's uh, bonus third degree of the podcast. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get some news with FC Dallas and give us another reason to do a podcast soon. Talk to you all later. Mm-hmm.